Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome to another edition of the Talking About Podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. With me on the line on this beautiful Friday is Dave Early of Liberty Ballers. Dave, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, glad to glad to have you on. And on the September scale, we had some pretty big news this week. Um, we thought, hey, training camp's only a few weeks away. Sixers seem pretty solidified with their roster. Weren't expecting anything to happen, really. And then the news that the team has signed Montrez Harrell to a two-year, $5.2 million deal. It's a player option for year two. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of ties with uh, with Harrell, with people in the organization. Daryl Morey originally drafted him with Houston, uh, I guess, nine years ago at this point. Um, and Doc Rivers and Harrell have a relationship with their time together with the Clippers. Of course, James Harden with, was with that Houston team back then and um they they have a relationship and it was reported that james was at least involved in the decision to bring Montrez onto the team dave what were your first thoughts when this news dropped earlier in the week my first thoughts were um oh doc rivers <laughs> <laughs> you know, he uh i i use the argument about everything that went down with Montrez harrell in the bubble as reasons that the Sixers shouldn't hire Doc in the first place. So it's kind of funny. And, you know, many of us spent a long time saying, well, we're a little bit worried that Dwight Howard is going to be the Montrez for all these playoffs. Doc's going to play him no matter who the matchup. Teams are going to put him in high screens that he's not really equipped to deal with, which we did have to suffer through a lot of. Trey Young, John Collins, and Dwight Howard basically just sitting under the rim while things happened far from the hoop that were bad for the Sixers. Um, we relived a little bit. We also had to see Dwight with Ben Simmons. You know, it just, if Doc gets a guy that he really trusts and Montrez is good enough to really earn his trust, he won six man of the year in 2020. So that was a more difficult decision, arguably, than the ones he's had in Philadelphia thus far. Like playing Paul Reed over DeAndre Jordan was an easy decision, which he messed up. So you could say that he made more difficult a decision and mistake in with the Clippers so all of that came flooding back to me when I heard and it, it was difficult for me to just say okay Harrell's a good player for a low cost James Harden wants him and now James Harden finally has that lob threat we haven't been able to grant him um, so there are some positives but yeah give me trauma <laughs> yeah you seem pretty worried about the the dock of it all so we're, we're going to really flesh that out and, and kind of dive into that a little bit more. I think you gave a good overview of your concerns, but before we do that, let's, let's talk about what Trez brings to the table. Like, cause in a vacuum getting a guy that 
just a few years ago was sixth man of the year, as you mentioned. He's still just 28 years old, was still productive for Charlotte last season in a in a reserve role. Like getting him on a min deal, like that's that's good. In if there I think if there wasn't the the doc concerns where a major reason Doc was fired was because of his stubbornness in sticking with uh with Trez over over Zubach in, in that playoff series against Denver. I think people would be like really happy about this. Um because yeah, say what you want about Paul Reed, and he's we, we all think he has a lot of promise, but just getting another guy in-house to to help with a long regular season where Joel Embiid is going to have to sit out some games for load management, you know, injuries happen. It's good. Always good to have depth. Like clearly Trez is a better player at this point in his career than Charles Bassey. So this is a, this is a clear upgrade to the roster from a talent standpoint. Um, and, and as you said, Trez brings some good things to the table. He's a very elite pick and roll big, got highly efficient numbers scoring around the rim. Um, throughout his career, despite the fact that he's only six foot seven, just really good body control down in the painted area and, and ability to finish down there. Uh, and as you said, good lob threat. So him and him and Harden should have good chemistry in that area. And that's something that the Sixers have really lacked for the most part, um, especially during Harden's tenure with the team. So, I, I, so let's set the, the doc stuff aside, Dave, what, what are the positives you really feel like Tres can bring to the table and what, what is he going to bring to this team that they lacked? Let's, let's talk about that first. Probably the most important thing is the vertical gravity. When he sets the screen for James Harden, you are going to have to worry about Harden getting into the paint, which he can do usually at will and lobbing it over the top to Trez, who's got, you know, a very lengthy wingspan and can finish. You mentioned some of the numbers and the productivity and the efficiency on the offensive end. I mean, he shoots like six, over 60% from the field the last four years or so. Yeah, um, 62% for his career. And there, there's only been one year where he's been below 60% from the field. So, so he, doesn't, he doesn't take kind of hero shots the way Andre Drummond used. You know, Drummond would take a hero shot or a try a hero pass. Um you know, Trez isn't really going to do things like that. He, yeah. he kind of knows his role. He'll crash the glass. He'll look for tip jams, finishes, and and basically play the dunker spot too, I assume. Yeah, um, although he does, to, uh, just to point out, he does have a little bit of a jumper. It's it's not like a, a Mitchell Robinson situation where you're only like catching lobs and that's like the entirety of your offense. Um, he doesn't do it often. I think, to your point, he only... He only does it when he's open. He's not going to force the issue, but he does have a little bit of a mid-range shot that he, he can utilize, and he's, he's pretty good at. So, Well, I wonder if Daryl Morey will say, please never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. That's true. But, uh, yeah, it's, so I think all that stuff you mentioned is great. Um, obviously, the concerns are on the defensive end, and I, I think when we talk about Doc and our concerns with, with the signing, um, that will really come to a head in – a potential playoff situation. Um, but yeah, in the regular season, I mean, it's get, gets gotten thrown around so often it's kind of become a joke, but like Harold's a, like an innings eater type guy where you can, you can have him play 20 minutes a game if you need to. And he's not going to hurt you really against like second units of opposing teams. You're, you're playing the, uh, like the Detroit of last year. I, I, I wanted to say Detroit, but 
I, I feel like Detroit's going to be much improved this year, but like uh, the San Antonio's of the world, I guess this year um, in those, those back-to-back type situations, like he's, he's going to be able to feast on, on those kind of teams um, as an efficient scorer. So it, it's good to have those guys in house. And as I said, he's, he's definitely an upgrade to Bassey at this point in their career. So for a team that is just looking to upgrade the roster wherever they can, I think this was a good move. I think, the overall ethos of the offseason was adding toughness, and Trez is definitely a guy that has that in spades. I think him and PJ Tucker could be like a new Bash Brothers type tandem for the Sixers. Um, it was funny that uh, Harold and, and and Joel have gotten into it a little bit on the court in the past, um, continuing Joel's streak of like bringing guys into the fold that he previously had at least some sort of beef with and then squashing yeah, it. Was Tre- <laughs> it was Trez or Whiteside. It had to be one of those two, right? Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess to be fair, Joel, because of how uh, physically imposing he is on the court, he, he gets into it with probably 90% of opposing big men. Yeah. So it, it'd probably be harder to find somebody he hasn't had some sort of uh, spat with scuffle or yeah, whatever with. <laughs> so, but yeah, th- didn't, obviously didn't seem like there was anything truly uh true true animosity between them. it was just like guys puffing their chest down on the court so um yeah, i think that's all it was yeah and, and that I, funny moment where he and dwight got into it and i think dwight got ejected in a game in la a couple of years ago oh i don't i don't remember that one um, I, we were joking like oh they were fighting over who doc loves more <laughs> dwight and Montres. yeah his his real pet projects guys guys with yeah. uh who non-stretch bigs approaching 30 that uh <laughs> yeah non-stretch non-switch bigs his favorite yep that's that's the doc wheelhouse right there um but yeah so yeah a lot of good things to like about Therese. uh i think unlike deandre jordan last year that was just like a true disaster situation where everyone knew jordan was kind of washed like all respect to the guy he had an excellent career but should, should not be playing rotation minutes for NBA teams at this point of his career. Um, although he was the first signing by the Nuggets in free agency. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that was funny. Um, but yeah, he's still, still got a lot left in the tank. I think he still brings a lot to the table as a reserve big. Um, and as I said earlier, like in a vacuum, yeah, great signing min, min veteran deal. The player option was a bit odd. I guess that was just the, kind of the the cost of getting him in a min deal what did you what did you think what did you make of the player option Dave I I don't know what to make of it yeah I, I agree with you it was curious I uh I assume that if he just somehow wound up out of the league you know maybe his legal troubles there, maybe there's something else that keeps him off of roster then he'll be happy to have that and that was the cost of getting him yeah, uh, it, it should be mentioned, um, and Derek Bodner did a good job mentioning this in his in his newsletter. But uh, if the Sixers had just signed him to a one year veteran minimum deal that so it didn't include a second year, uh, they could have like prorated part of the uh, the salary against against the cap, and it would have saved them against the apron. Uh, so it would have given them a little bit more room as far as the the apron was concerned, um, and it. I, I don't have the exact specifics in front of me, but it, it had to do with like the nuances of the CBA, where if you sign a vet a vet to a, a one year deal, it doesn't hurt you 
against the full cap. And, and that was to incentivize teams not to select rookie guys against like veteran players whose, uh, whose min deals are, are higher based on their use of service than, than younger players might be. So they, they could have actually saved a little bit money against the cap and the apron if it's just been a one-year deal, but the two-year deal kind of nullifies that. So that, that was another reason like, I thought the player option was really weird, but um, I guess, I guess that's just what he was looking for. He said he's not going to take a minimum deal unless he has that added bit of insurance. So, um, yeah, if, if they wanted him, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a guy with a player option for a vet min next year as well. It's not going to hurt them uh, too much. So, uh, all right, we, we've we danced around it enough. We, we have to get to the Doc Rivers of it all now. Dave, you kind of outlined it well in, in the opening. And here's the problem. We have a long history of Doc Rivers finding a veteran big as a backup. And that that's just his guy. He's not going to tinker. He's not going to look at other options. He's not going to experiment with small ball. It's going to be Dwight Howard. It's going to be Andre Drummond. It's going to be DeAndre Jordan that are, are going to get those minutes. And doesn't matter what the matchup is. Doesn't matter what other options he have that other people might feel are much better. He's, he's going to trust the vet and to hell or high water. That's what it's going to be. And you brought it up with their experience together in LA, but with, with Trez, like teams have been outscored by 12 points per hundred possession when he's on the floor in his last five postseason appearances, like the pick and roll defense, when you get to the postseason and teams are game planning against you and they're just going to whatever weaknesses they can exploit again and again and again until you fix the problem because it's the playoffs and they're just going to spam whatever they need to do to get a win in advance. Like his, his real inability to play pick and roll defense becomes a glaring weakness. And when the Clippers played the Nuggets back in 2020 and you had Nikola Jokic, who's one of the best passing big men in the league, they just exploited that and it absolutely killed the Clippers. And Doc refused to, to try other options. A lot of people, and this wasn't revisionist history. It was in the moment. People were like screaming online. It's like, why aren't you playing Zubach? He'd be a much better uh, option to kind of defend this. Um, and, and people brought it up in press conferences and Doc stuck to his guns. And we saw it last year with, you know. It, it was took- an issue behind closed doors. If you read some of those Buva articles and ESPN breakdowns of why he, he didn't keep that job, it was when he met with Steve Ballmer after the year, after going through it, not listening to, I think it was Judd Winton and the analytics staff in that series or, or the myriad fans online. Um, he didn't take responsibility. He defended his decision, which was a horrific decision. To me, that was the biggest red flag for the Sixers in the first place. If you're not saying, Hey, you put that on me. I definitely messed that up. Should have went with Zub. Um, that's an issue. And, and, it was noted at the time that the Clippers players didn't stand up for him when he left. So I think they disagreed with the decision also. Yeah. And you know, they're the guys that are in the foxhole. They know, they know better than anyone. Um, it, I, I think it was just obvious to kind of everyone. Um, it, it was really clear what was happening on the floor. What was just the inability of, of Trez to defend it. And it, it, it wasn't like a, a nuanced thing. It was just, Hey, here's the guy. He's out on an island in a pick and roll. The opposing team has the ball in, his, in their hands, right in front of him. Like, just pretty glaringly obvious. And yeah, I think the concern is that you know Doc 
still has that mindset. And we saw last year, he, he said, we're not here for the Paul Reed victory tour. When, when everyone in the world saw that DeAndre Jordan was completely washed and I, I don't know what it took, but eventually he came around to, to, to playing Paul Reed instead of Jordan. Um, it was like two days after a report <laughs> that he may not keep his job from yeah. Jake Fisher. Yeah. And so maybe, maybe right after that, we started seeing Paul. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Daryl finally came down and said like, listen, you're gone unless you play Paul Reed over DeAndre Jordan. Like this isn't going to fly. Yeah. So the, some fans are probably thinking like, this is a good signing. Um, what's the problem? Why are you talking about 2020? And Sean, you just nailed it. It's because all of 2020 and 2021, these were issues. These same issues there were issues here. And then it repeated again last year. And so if you have that innings eater with this head coach, he's going to eat those innings. But the problem is that means it's set in stone that that's part of your playoff rotation. And that comes at the cost then of potentially high upside alternatives. For example, five out. Can't do any of that with Trez because he's a roll big. Um, small ball, P.J. Tucker at the five. I assume we'll see much less of that now with Trez around, with Doc still here. And those are the things that you would like to see in bench minutes. Uh, if you were to play Boston and you were to play Montrez at the five, Tobias Harris and Maxi, that's three defenders that they feel relatively content to pick on. I mean, Tobias held his own against Pascal Siakam. He did a decent job against Jimmy Butler until Jimmy Butler figured out how to score on literally every sixer, every opportunity. But you're, you're putting together sometimes two and maybe sometimes three players that don't form like Voltron on the defensive end. That's going to be tough because Boston's just going to play that player and spam them, like you said, over and over. You know, like a one-two with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum screen roll, and Burrell's going to have no chance. And if Doc isn't having this bout face, you know, Mike D'Antoni had one once. He wanted seven seconds or less all the time. But because he had Chris Paul and James Harden, he was like, all right, let's scrap it. Let's play ISO ball forever. And he won 65 games and made a Final Four. So Doc is going to need that come to Jesus type of season right now where he throws a lot of his weaknesses to the side and says, I have Trez. Trez could get us a win tonight here in Detroit. But if I don't do these things that I need to do come April, it's not worth it anyway. Yeah, that's that's the concern is that. Yeah, Trez might be helpful and help you win a, an extra game or two in the regular season, but. I would rather have Paul Reed having 18 minutes a game under his belt for 80 games and get all the kinks worked out, all the chemistry built that he needs to, so that by playoff time, he's, he's locked in. Like he knows his role. He knows where he fits in the scheme with every, every rotation that he could be a part of. And, and, and that playoff lineup's ready to go. I don't, I don't want it to be like, Paul Reed has played five minutes a game here and there. Every once in a while, he gets to play 20 on a night that Embiid sits. Um, and that that's like how it goes throughout the season. He's in and out of the lineup. And then by the playoff time, like he's still, Doc's still going with Trez. They're like, oh, let's try Paul Reed again. Um, kind of like what they did last year. And it's like game, game three of the first round. And suddenly Paul Reed's expected to go back to being the regular backup big or something. Like, and Harden, Harden. And Reed had a couple of turnovers trying to thread the needle to each other on screen rolls. And you just thought to yourself, 
that's a turnover that wouldn't have happened if they realized Paul Reed was better than DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, if, if, if they had had 25 games to play together, exactly those those things wouldn't happen. So, yeah, yeah you say, oh, it's probably not a big deal. But when, you, when you're talking about the playoffs, the margins are so tight and you have to execute at such a high level. And there's really a very small margin forever when it comes to postseason, particularly when you get down to talking about the conference semifinals and the top eight teams where everyone's talented everyone's looking at the, the film on a 24 seven basis to figure out, Hey, what, what can I exploit? What tiny advantage can I find where we can just take advantage of this? And you're just not leaving yourself in the best situation. If, if you haven't fully explored all of your options and, and seen everything that your roster might be capable of. And we've just seen too much evidence in the past, both in Philadelphia and elsewhere that doc doc doesn't do that. He, he just, he just locks into something and it, it just stays that way until, until he either leaves or until possibly a mandate comes down from, from on high that he needs to change. Yeah. I wrote this piece back in June about how he and Maury are sort of oil and water at times. Maury says things like to be the best of 30 teams. And you're looking around the East, how stacked it is the NBA in general, how stacked it is. You have to do some radical things. Like you can't just do what teams expect you to do. You're going to have to get, weird sometimes and he's tried that in houston and it's worked and now he's got one of the most hyper conservative coaches in the entire league who likes to play all bench lineups during the regular season to eat innings because he's so comfortable with the starting five he picked from day one and we saw you know he picked matisse Thibault as a starter at some point and at some point when that didn't work out because of the vaccination status we didn't have a clean pivot i mean danny green was really good in ironically in doc's defense danny green's absence hurt them quite a bit in both of the last two playoffs joel and Embiid's injuries as well but still you need to adapt and iterate during the year and that's not something that we've seen a lot of and that's predictably hurt them and hurt his teams both in la and philly now yep couldn't have said it better so trez good player good signing out of that men but given the surrounding circumstances around the head coach, it could just be exacerbating an issue that has been there for a couple of years. And we'll see. Um, hopefully we're not having the same conversation come spring, but until we see otherwise, it, it remains a concern. I think we are. I think this is Doc's last year. Don't, you know, assuming Sixers have what, a 5% chance to win the championship for Vegas or whatever it is, assuming they don't, I think Doc Rivers is fired, and I think we're going to look back and say, cannot believe it took him three years to do that. That that does seem to be the case more often than not, that that the, the firing comes a year too late uh, in these kind of situations. Um, but I, I definitely understand the reluctance um, given, you know, his his status around the league, the, the kind of gravitas he has um, with – the, the NBA community, but uh, yeah, I think a lot of fans are are waiting for it to happen and, and kind of feel similarly to how you do, Dave. So yeah, we'll see. Um, it's going to be an interesting season. The, the Sixers definitely have uh, the talent to contend, but you know, there's some teams that I feel are at least similarly talented, if not more so, and, and maybe better constructed and more willing to do things, uh, as you mentioned, to experiment, to, to think outside the box that, that lead to 
winning formulas when postseason time rolls around. So yeah, we'll see. Um, for now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what the, the Trez signing means to the rest of the roster because the, the Sixers suddenly have a bit of a roster crunch on their hands. So we hear from our, our advertisers and we'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, and we're back. So another part of the, the signing that we have to deconstruct is that the Sixers have 17 guys on the roster currently. And by the time the season rolls around, they're going to have to whittle that down to 15. And that's that 17 number is not including the two-way contracts and the exhibit 10 deal that they currently have signed. So um, just, I don't know, Dave, we, we, we've talked about it when it was 16 going to 15 and summer league was going on. And we, we kind of thought it was a, a quiet tournament for the, for the last postseason or the, the last roster spot heading into the regular season. So now, now it's 17 down to 15, uh, a two for one or a three for one trade hasn't happened in the off season. Like people thought it might've. So what, what are the Sixers to do? What, what do you uh, predict is going to happen with uh, getting this down to 15? Well, I guess the guys closest to that line, right. Are queen champagne, Joe Bassey. Well, Champagne's a two-way guy, so he's not even. You, right, you so could you me, could you could say is. they could cut him and sign somebody else to one of the two-way slots, but right now he's not part of the seventeen. Okay, so so give me the give me the candidates. So the candidates I would say are Bassey, Queen, Isaiah, Joe, Springer, and if you really want to make the case that they're still going to trade like Cork Moss or Thibel or someone. So I do think they would much prefer to make a trade for sure. Uh, a couple guys out that would simplify the whole thing. If you had to pick a couple of those names, I guess because of the draft capital, you're tempted to give Springer some more time, even though his jump shot doesn't look ready yet. Um, he's really young and his defense does look pretty good. It's just that his catch and shoot isn't ready. 
Joe's is. So I would feel like he should probably be the safest. Um, I thought he offered a skill that the Sixers are lacking. I mean, if you want to say Korkmaz is a safe bet as a shooter, maybe, but he hasn't been. And maybe Joe gives you insurance there. So I would put my money on him. Was not impressed by Queen in Summer League. I know that might not have been his best showing, but he at times looked so uncomfortable in a spot-up role. You know, he didn't have his hands up ready to catch and fire. When he did, it it wasn't a pretty stroke. Uh, And the same could be said for Springer. Bassey really struggled too, and you wonder with a guy like Harrell coming on board if he's more disposable. Um, I guess I guess I feel like Joe and Springer would have the inside track, but I have no idea here. Yeah, I agree on Joe. I feel like he's such a good like floor spacer archetype, and given the fact that he kind of went into the summer league and and people were speculating like he has to put forth a good showing, and then he was far and head and shoulders the best player on that summer league team and like really couldn't have done anything more to say like hey i belong in this in this i belong in the nba like here's what i can do i, I feel like they got to keep him around um just the the fully actualized version of him that's like spotting up and hitting 28 footers with as clean of a stroke as he has with his shooting form and everything uh yeah it's really it'd re- be really hard to, to let go on that dream um this early um without at least a bigger sample size of trying and him g- at the nba level and given the team's needs i mean yeah PJ, exactly. PJ tucker does not shoot a lot of threes per game the anthony melton struggled mightily in the playoffs and we know that when the sixers have a streak shooter uh, if you miss two or three in a row and matisse Seibel can tell you this doc might just bench you and that that might get into your head and that that's something that isn't out of the realm of possibility that could happen to DeAnthony Melton. You know, I could almost yeah. picture it happening. He gets into a, a funk because Doc's pulled him for missing shots and going with someone else he trusts more. And then he plays, and now he's wondering about making his next shot. Am I going to have to sit? So hopefully that stuff doesn't happen. But Joe is kind of your solution because unlike Shake, if he catches it, he's just going to let it fire. Just no questions asked. I'm going to shoot it. A lot yep. of the other guys on this team want to bounce it first. Yeah, he's he's the flame flow the the flamethrower that mm-hmm. you need out there. Uh, so yeah, I agree. I think Joe is safe. Um, Springer for yeah, you mentioned the draft capital, a guy that they used a first round pick on just a year a year ago, and is still 19 years old. Like he doesn't even turn 20 until later this month. Yeah, so it yeah you, you you'd be really hard pressed to to give up on him so, so quickly. So I, I don't see them moving on from him yet. Um, so my prediction would be uh, excluding the possibility of a trade, which I agree, they're still going to try to do that, but if they haven't done this at this point, I don't, I don't see it happening. So I, I don't think it's going to happen despite probably being the, uh, the preferred option in their minds. I, I think it'll be Bassey. Um, the fact that Trez is another big, so do you really need to keep four four center options on the roster for a second consecutive year? Probably not. That's good, not good roster optimization. Um, especially when you have a guy like PJ Tucker who could be your small ball five in a pinch for a handful of minutes. Um, it also gives you some clean optics. You know, I saw our, our friend of the pod, uh, Trill Bro, saying, like, sorry, Paul Reed, 
you're, you know, we're bringing in Trez. You weren't good enough. But if you get rid of Bassett, you're basically saying, hey, Paul Reed's going to play. Yeah, you could still keep it more of a, like an open competition through camp at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And plus the fact that Bassey only has 75, uh, 75,000 guaranteed on the contract. So it would, it would open up some, uh, some cap apron space if, if you were to release him. Uh, and, and the fact that, you know, he, uh, I don't, I don't think he's gotten a fair shake. I, I feel like he's a guy that's really scalable. And if you were to give him, like actual minutes at the NBA level playing with a guy like Harden who can maximize a, a pick and roll big. Um, I feel like Bassey does have good potential, but it, he hasn't really gotten the opportunity to show it to show it at the NBA level, whereas Paul Reed has. So it's a pretty easy argument to make like, Oh, he was a second round pick. Hasn't really panned out wishing the best. Um, so I, I, and given the fact that he'd be a fourth big now that, that Trez is in the fold. I feel like that's, that's, that's gotta be one. Um, and then you the other, it, I brought this guy up on a pod before, but like you look at a guy like Jericho Sims on the Knicks round two pick 58, but you know, when they were rebuilding towards the tail end of the year, like they gave him minutes and he played really well. You wonder about a guy like Bass, he could have had that chance, but on a really contending team, it just wasn't available. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I don't think the, the book is closed on Bassey as an NBA player. I, I just don't think there's a path to it here, um, given the circumstances in the current situation. So uh, I think that's one. And I think the other is going to be, it's going to be queen, but I think they're, they're really going to try to keep them on, on a two way. So I think given how little we saw from Champagne in summer league, uh, who just looked invisible, didn't really bring anything to the table. I, I feel like they, they let Champagne go from one of the two way slots and try to get queen back onto one of one of those to keep, to keep him in, in the system, in the organization. Yeah. I think you brought this up when we talked about it in the summer, that the idea that if you did, if you could keep him around on, on the blue coats, maybe you could try to morph him a little bit more into a swingman role than the on-ball role. Because yeah. then, then he could have a viable NBA career given his talents. If they could get him to get that catch and shoot in the defense, both improved a little bit, then, then you're cooking with something. Yeah, uh, I don't even know if like he couldn't be an on-ball role at the NBA level anywhere, but he certainly can't be with the Sixers, and he's not no. going to be a contributing member in that role for the next couple of years. And so he's not a sniper when Embiid sits. You say, okay, put him out there with James Harden to space the floor either. Yeah, so for for the Sixers, uh, you would need him to yeah be more of a three and D type archetype. So. Maybe he could work on that in Delaware with, with the team. They, they're obviously intrigued by the talent. To they gave him uh, three hundred and thirty thousand dollars of guaranteed money when they brought him in. So I, I don't think they'd be as inclined to move on. Um, so I, I think they would try to to get him on the on the two way. Um, so it'd be Champagne in my mind that would be gone. Char- Charlie Brown looked had had really good stints in summer league, and to me he he's their other two way guy. He he feels like a perfect two way player like not a super high ceiling, but if you needed to bring him up for a couple of weeks because of injuries or whatever else, like he can, he can definitely defend at the NBA level. So he's not going to hurt you. Like you could bring him in and be, you, you, you'd be fine having him play like 15 minutes a night and, and, and get by during the regular season. So he's, he's kind of a, a perfect two way guy to have in my mind. So I, I see, definitely see him sticking around with one of those spots. So 
his that, defense looked like it, it would translate for sure. Yeah. I'm not sure about that wonky jump shot though. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's why I I don't feel like he's like pushing to make the team at all. But I feel like a two, a two way works for him where if, if you need him, he's there. But otherwise, he can maybe just keep working on that shot in Delaware. Um, so yeah, that's that's my prediction. Bassey Bassey would be gone, and then release Champagne and, and try to get Queen on on the two way after you release him from the the main contract. Yeah, I agree. Try try the trade first. Otherwise, do that. Yep. And, so the, uh, look to keep Jones Springer. Yeah, they're they're definitely going to keep the the phone lines open and try to get a trade done. Uh, but and and that's likely why we won't see the final moves made until right before the regular season. They're, they're going to, you know, maybe, maybe somebody gets injured in preseason action on another team and they're like, Oh, well, we're pretty thin at wing now. Maybe the idea of Matisse Thibel looks more enticing or, and, or, or maybe, Hey, uh, Quirk Moss's look good in, in Europe this summer. Uh, he's had a couple good preseason games where he hit some threes. Maybe, maybe he's ready to bounce back and a team wants to, to take a shot on him. you know? If, so. um, if we had, let's do this in reverse because you and I both just cut Charles Basti. If we had not signed Trez and let's say they signed hypothetically like Macklemore or Mello, would we then be cutting Springer or Joe and keeping Basti because now we need the big even more? And is it possible that that was part of their thinking and why they went big at the last roster spot to keep one of these guys, Springer and Joe? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting um, to think about. Yeah, because they wouldn't they wouldn't want to go into the season with only two bigs. Two. You need you need that third big. Right. So yeah, Bassie couldn't go. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that was their thinking uh, because for all the reasons we mentioned, you don't want to give up on Joe or Springer quite yet. But uh, just I'm just looking at this roster and I'm like, all right, Matisse, is he gonna play playoff minutes? No idea. Is he gonna be on the team? No idea. Corkmas, same thing. Shake Milton, same thing. Niang, probably gonna play playoff minutes, but I'm not sure. Yeah, um, maybe like eight to ten minutes. Joe, I'm not sure. And now that Harrell's here with Reed, I don't know. Or if Reed plays a lot, then Harrell, I don't know. There's a lot of guys where I'm like, I'm not sure that he's going to be in the nine-man rotation in the second round. Yeah. They got a really solid, like, eight now. But, yeah, the last couple – there's a couple question marks after that. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, that's an interesting thought. And, yeah, probably they just didn't view any of the wing options as upgrades on the, like, upside of, like, hey, if Joe works out, then he works out. So, like, you mentioned like Macklemore. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that that probably did go into their thinking. So, yeah, uh, Trez is here. Um, I think we've fully discussed all the the pros and cons of that. Uh, so we'll we'll just have to see how it works out as we as we head into the season. I wonder so. how I wonder how Trez feels about all the conversations being about Doc and not him. <laughs> I, good, I would think. I don't know. It, I guess it's good. Not it's better better to be not brought up than to have the, the the fact that you can't defend in the playoffs be about you it was more about doc <laughs> roof, like keeping him on the floor so yeah that, that's, that's good true. in a sense i would think it's a weird um, it's almost a weird pass yeah well yeah it was, it was Jokic. <laughs> otherwise you would have been fine despite it being the the last five postseasons <laughs> together um all right dave well thanks for 
talking this all out with me. Appreciate your insight. Appreciate you joining once again. Um, where can everybody Anytime. find your work? Uh, at David Early on Twitter, like early morning, and at LibertyBallers.com. Uh, I right. got a piece coming up about a Nets offseason, and it was a whopper because the Nets had <laughs> not quiet offseason. Yeah, I, I heard something. some stuff went down with them. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, everybody definitely should check that out. Look forward to reading it. And thanks again for everyone out there. I'll talk to you next week. I'm Sean Kennedy at Billy Fast Break on Twitter. Enjoy your weekend and take care.